Good morning. Uh, my name's Sam. If we've not met, uh, please do come and say hello later. I'd love to meet you. Thanks, Pauline, for reading uh, a double dose of Acts. That's a long section, isn't it? And I came just in time to see the baptisms. Uh, what a wonderful joy that is to see God's kingdom grow. Uh, and uh, no doubt you've already have given thanks for that. Uh, these words in Acts are about the resurrection they're huge, they're wonderful and incredible. So I think we're going to need to ask for God's help as I open them and as we listen this morning. Please join me as I pray. Our oh, Father God, we thank you for your word here in Acts, the truth of the risen Lord Jesus and his work in your people. And might these words be a comfort to us, a challenge, a stir, a rebuke. And uh, might we grow in our conviction and our love of him this morning. We ask this through his name and by his spirit. Amen. Well, let me say up front that our aim this morning is that we will have grown in our confidence that Jesus is alive today. That he's directing his church and indeed growing his kingdom. Why does this matter? Well, if you're living the Christian life authentically, sooner or later you will have conversations with unbelievers in which you're asked to defend the case that Jesus is alive. And you and I, from time to time, are plagued with doubts, aren't we? We need to grow in our conviction to defend the case to ourselves. And in trials and temptations, and as we give ourselves wholeheartedly to this ministry and the ministry of Jesus' kingdom worldwide, we need to be sure, don't we, that Jesus is alive and that his kingdom is the number one thing worth living for. And so as we come to this part of Acts, you might have noticed that it's full of trial scenes, legal language. For there's inquiry, chapter 21, verse 33. There's examination, chapter 22, verse 24. There's a case to answer, chapter 23, verse 30. And so our part this morning, your part, is to play the part of the jury. We need to be convinced of the facts of the case. And that is exactly why Paul is brought to trial Turn with me to chapter 22, verse 30. The end of chapter 22. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why Paul was being accused by the Jews, the tribune unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. And the issue at stake is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have a look at 23, verse 6. As Paul cries out in this court, it is with respect to the hope and resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Paul's message is that Jesus has risen from the dead. And really, this is the heart of the message of Christianity. It means that Jesus, risen from the dead, is God. It means that God is alive and alive today. And it means God, your God, requires your life and all of it. It's a stark message, 
with a bold claim, I think you'll agree. And because of this message, Paul is on trial. But really, it's the truth of the resurrection that's on trial. And so the question that matters is the question we'll be answering, is Jesus alive? Is he ruling now and directing his church and growing his kingdom today? And that's not a trivial question, is it? I feel the weight of explaining the Bible this morning as the stakes couldn't be higher. Heaven or hell, life and eternal life. This is beyond the pay grade, even of the Supreme Court. Is Jesus alive? Is he ruling and reigning? Is he directing his church and growing his kingdom today? And because the stakes are high, we need to be convinced. So let me set the scene again. You'll have read uh, these uh, two and a half chapters in Acts. The scene is Jerusalem. The court is Jerusalem. And though this was once King David's city, when it comes to defending the gospel, there is certainly no home advantage. For Jerusalem had turned into the most hardened, hostile place to God, to Jesus and his people. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets and stones those sent to it. Consider what happened to Jesus in Jerusalem. The crowd shouted, away with him, crucify him, crucify him, the Jewish high priests. The leaders, the Romans, held a mock trial. He was beaten, scourged, and nailed to a cross. And the parallels between Jesus and Paul are astonishing, aren't they? The same arena, the same opponents, crowd, Jews, Romans. In many ways, it's like a gladiatorial battle, and Paul is being thrown to the lions. Here in Jerusalem, Paul's in the lion's jaws. Paul preaches the resurrection, but is Jesus alive? Is he ruling and reigning? Is he ruling and reigning here in Jerusalem? This hardened, this most hardened, most hostile of all places. Of course, if he is alive, if Jesus is ruling and reigning in Jerusalem, the most hardened and hostile of places, then he's alive and reigning everywhere. But that is a big if. And so our question this morning for the jury, is Jesus growing his kingdom even in the jaws of Jerusalem? Well, let me present evidence for you, the jury. Number one, let's consider a test case. Let's consider just one man. Can Jesus reign over just one man, a Jerusalem man? Point number one, Jesus is growing his kingdom in his people. And come to chapter 22, the beginning. Well, we'll have a test case. Let's examine one man, a Jerusalem man. Is Jesus alive? Is, if so, can he reign over one man? Well, let's meet a man. Verse 3. A Jew, born in Tarsus, but raised in Jerusalem. Educated in Jerusalem. A graduate of Gamaliel's top law school. A double first in zeal. He's a Jerusalem man through and through. Is Jesus alive? Does he reign over this one man, this test case? Come to verse 7. Paul, or Saul as he was then, falls to the ground. This man is confronted by the risen Lord Jesus. He calls him Lord. He's later baptized, verse 16, and commissioned as a missionary to the nations, verse 21. Is Jesus alive? Is he directing his church? The test case says yes. 
But this isn't any ordinary person, is it? This is Paul, the hardest of people. Just look who's transformed in his own words. So zealous is he, verse 19, that in one synagogue after another, he imprisoned and beat those who believed in Jesus. And when the blood of Stephen, Jesus' witness, was being shed, Paul himself was standing by and approving of those who killed him. Friends, the evidence before us in this one test case is that Jesus is alive and reigning, directing his church, growing his church, directing his people in Jerusalem, the hardest of places, and in Paul, the hardest of people. And of course, if Jesus is alive and reigning in the hardest of places and in the hardest of people, then of course there's nowhere and no one that Jesus does not reign over. Nothing can stop him directing his church and growing his kingdom. And I think we ought to pause here and just note three things. First, no one is too sinful. No one is too hardened. No one is too hostile to be forgiven and to come under Jesus' loving rule. Isn't that great news? Perhaps you've turned up this morning it's great that you're here perhaps it was an effort though for you to come this morning you're away aware of sin perhaps you think everyone else is so godly they've got it all together and i'm the only one here have you ever felt like that i know i have you're aware of your sin but just look this hostile hardened man paul no one is too hostile too hardened too far gone to come under jesus loving rule and the resurrection and the power of jesus can soften even the most hard hearts. Are you trapped in a relationship in which sin just keeps reappearing its ugly head again and again and again? The message of the risen King Jesus is cause for real hope, real transformation, isn't it? Just look at Paul. Second, what does this mean? It gives us courage, doesn't it? To keep persevering, to share the gospel of the risen Jesus. If Paul can be saved, then all can be saved. You might have a hardened brother, sister, mum, aunt, cousin, that hostile person at work, that neighbour. Well, keep praying and keep telling. It's not a futile exercise. Jesus is king. He rules and reigns. And third, no one can stop Jesus from directing his church and growing his kingdom So it's foolish and futile to try. Perhaps you're there, holding back, refusing to repent of some sin. Perhaps you're not a Christian yet. We'll love it that you're here. Can you see Jesus rules and he reigns? Come under his lordship even today. Nothing can stop him from ruling and reigning and saving. So Jesus is alive, reigning in the hardest of places over the hardest of people. But are there limits? Is there any boundary that Jesus cannot cross? Is there anything that can stop him directing his church and growing his kingdom? Well, evidence for the jury number two, let me put to you, that Jesus is growing his kingdom even through his people. I read the website of a church this week, and they boasted that they were an open church, by which they meant that they said that there were other ways to heaven They denied the uniqueness of Jesus. They denied the sufficiency of his death for sins. They denied the Bible was his word. Now, we expect that of the world, don't we? But this was the church. My heart sank 
My heart has sunk too when I've heard of ministers who've disqualified themselves from ministry through serious sin. But the problems of the church are not only out there, are they? This week I've been in COVID ISO and the squeeze has exposed my sin, my bitterness, my hardness of heart. And looking around, no offence, but the church doesn't look too impressive today either, does it? Is Jesus alive today? Can we still trust Jesus when the church looks weak, is weak, feels weak? We'll come to 21, verse 17, the beginning of the passage that we had read, and we read optimistically, don't we? When Luke writes, when we had come to Jerusalem, this eyewitness, he's seen all that had happened. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And we open, only need to flick back in our Bibles to see the message of Acts, to see how God's gospel has gone out. One by one, people are converted. Church by church, churches have been planted. God has been raising up an extraordinary number of people through his ministry. And look at their response, verse 20. When they heard it, they glorified God and said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed? Thousands. But we only need to turn over the page, don't we? And Paul's on trial. And where are those thousands now? It's the question I'd want to know. Where are they? Come with me to 2 Timothy, chapter 4. It's the last chapter in 2 Timothy. If I get there first, I'll tell you a page number. Uh, page 936. Paul here describes in three verses what it took Luke three chapters to write. Uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 4. Paul, reflecting on these verses, verse 16 says, at my first defense, referring here to his period in Jerusalem, at my first defense, no one stood by me. Verse 16, but all deserted me. Where are those thousands now, eh? You see, it's not just in our day, but in Paul's day too. The church looks very weak. In most places, it's not big. It's got sinners in both pulpit and pew. Is internal weakness a sign that Jesus' rule is not complete, not total, not comprehensive. No, not one bit. Not one bit. Rather, it shows that Jesus himself single-handedly is growing his church and growing his kingdom. For Paul goes on, verse 17, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles, that is the nations, might hear it. You see, despite the internal weakness of the church, by which I mean the people, by which I mean us, by which I mean me, in weakness and fear, Jesus can still be trusted to grow his church, grow his kingdom. And what of then, we've heard about internal weakness, what of external opposition? Well, here is evidence number three for you, the jury. What of external opposition? Can anything stop the Lord Jesus from saving? Well, if you're still in 2 Timothy chapter 4, read on with me. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed 
and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Well, did you know that the average African male lion has 30 teeth and with a bite force of over 1,000 pounds per square inch is easily capable of tearing you limb from limb, crushing both your bones and your flesh. Did you know that? My sons would know that. They, they tell me that sort of thing. Well, that's how Paul describes his experience in Jerusalem. In the lion's mouth. The jaws of a lion. Yet Jesus is so in control that he can snatch victory from the evil one, even from the jaws of Jerusalem. Indeed, so in control is he that he even uses opposition as part of his plan to further and grow his kingdom even more. For as Paul was opposed by the Jews, the message went to the Gentiles. As Paul is opposed by the Romans, he's sent to the heart of the Roman Empire itself, preaching to emperors, to kings, to rulers, leaders, and from there, the centre of the empire, through all the world. Resistance to Jesus' message, to Jesus himself, is futile. So the case before you, the jury, is Jesus alive? Is he reigning anywhere, over anyone, through anything? Yes. Yes, he grew his kingdom in hostile Jerusalem. He can rule anywhere. Yes, he grew his kingdom through hostile Paul. He can rule and grow his kingdom through anyone. Yes, he grew his kingdom through internal and external threats. Yes, he's alive, reigns, and can grow his kingdom through anything. The case is rested. Jesus is alive, he rules and reigns, and so can be trusted to direct his church and grow his kingdom in all places, for all people, in all times. And here's why. As I rest the case this morning, here is why we can trust that. And it's our third point. It is that Jesus is growing his kingdom with his people. Jesus is alive today. The church will grow because the risen Jesus stands with his people. The risen Jesus stands with you. Come with me to chapter 23 and verse 10, the end of our reading. Back in Acts this time. Acts 23 and verse 10. Page 877, verse 10. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces, so the message about being in the lion's mouth was true then, wasn't it? Afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, he commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him back into the barracks. Verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink, till they had killed Paul. When I first read that, I, I did wonder how long they kept up that oath. 
I mean, given that we know that Paul lived for at least another two years, I wonder who was the first to sneak out for a kosher burger and break their oath. Were you wondering that? But do you notice that verse 10, Paul's almost torn to pieces. They're going to kill him. Verse 12, oaths are made, the promise to go on hunger strike until they've killed Paul. But we read there, in between, verse 11, the risen Lord Jesus appears beside him, stood beside him, take courage. In the middle of the danger, Jesus is there with Paul, stands beside him, take courage. And again, we read, didn't we? Don't turn back, but 2 Timothy chapter 14, at my first offence, no one came to stand by me, all deserted me, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. When no one stood with Paul, Jesus stood with him. When Paul was alone, Jesus stood with him. When Paul was weak, Jesus strengthened him and ensured that he, the risen Lord Jesus, would continue to uphold Paul, growing his kingdom, growing his church through all things, even to Rome and to the nations. But might you be thinking, well, is this just an apostle kind of thing? You know, we can trust that that kind of thing happens to Paul. Does it happen to us? Is Jesus with us? Is Jesus with you? Is Jesus with me? Well, we've seen all this, haven't we, already in our reading that, yes, he is. Chapter 22. Why don't we turn back there? Chapter 22. Sorry, it's such a large reading. I didn't pick the series. Uh, I didn't pick the reading. We're jumping backwards and forwards. Chapter 22, though, verse 8. Paul's conversion. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to him, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Well, at that point, who was Saul persecuting? Were this a kid's talk? I'd ask for a bit of audience participation. But because we don't sort of do that thing here, we're Sydney Anglicans. Um, who was Paul persecuting, though? Answer the church but who does Jesus say was being persecuted answer himself the point when the church is persecuted Jesus persecuted the point when wherever the church is Jesus is you see wherever the church is Jesus stands with his church wherever you are Jesus stands with you because Jesus is always with you and at one with all his people And because he's risen, he's alive and with us, with you today. Now, a question you might be asking is, is Jesus with me or in what way is he with me? Can you expect to go tonight with your mug of cocoa or hot Milo or whatever it is and expect to see Jesus appear with you physically tonight? No, we know from Acts chapter 1 verse 9 that Jesus ascended And he is alive in heaven now. But John chapter 16 tells us, Jesus tells us in John 16, that it is to our advantage that Jesus goes away. For when he goes away, he can send the Holy Spirit to be with us, to be in his people and with his people, whoever you are, if you're a Christian, and wherever you are. It's to your advantage that Jesus is with us spiritually, by the power of his Holy Spirit. And because of this, the risen Jesus can be with us always. So therefore, as we wind up, because Jesus is alive and is in control in all places, 
in all people, in all situations, there's something that all of us must do, isn't there? And that is give ourselves wholeheartedly to the risen Jesus. We can trust too, can't we? That Jesus is fully in control, growing his church, building his kingdom, ensuring that the proclamation of the gospel is being directed and no one and no place and no thing can stop it. Of course, some things can't be true as well. And what can't be true is that we're free to ignore it. And perhaps you've got a, a, a friend, a neighbour, and they say, oh, it's not for me. But the message of the resurrection of Jesus is not a truth we can ignore, is it? You can't be half-hearted about that kind of thing. You can't be double-minded, a foot in two camps. If Jesus is alive and rules and reigns today then he demands our 100% allegiance, doesn't he? You can't ignore Jesus. But finally, I know that many of us have given our full allegiance to the Lord Jesus, and this truth that Jesus is alive today is of great comfort, isn't it? It's only March, but I know that there are some here for whom already it's been a year of grief. And you long for Jesus to make all things right. For some here, the, the sweet hope of heaven is that sweet joy that will come after the end of a very long, hard road. And all of us need courage, don't we? That as we go from here and out into the world, that the message of the risen Lord Jesus is completely cast iron, guaranteed, and that Jesus is alive and rules and reigns with us, with you. Will you join me as I pray that we would have this conviction and this hope? Our Father God, we are very weak, but we thank you for the promise that we have seen here that nothing can stop the Lord from saving Thank you that in all places, through all people, in all situations, Jesus rules and reigns, for he is alive, and we praise you for that promise that he is with us by his Spirit, strengthening us, growing us, and so again we pray for this conviction that we might live wholeheartedly for him. Amen.